We say hello and good morning to you to another The Point After episode 14. Week 5 reactions and what a week it was. We've got a lot to talk about. we got to react to the AP poll. Talking Notre Dame, Duke, LSU, Ole Miss, USC, Colorado, and so much more here on The Point After. Cody, joined by Cody Oaks as always. I'm Jackson Gruff. How are you feeling on this fine Sunday night recording that will be coming out Monday morning? Man, you know, like you said, we thought week four was going to be a great week. Man, mind blown. Week five, some great games. We had a blow, a shootout in the SEC, Ole Miss LSU. We had another good game by a little upstart between Kentucky and Florida. We had USC Colorado. We had Mm. Oregon getting tested by Stanford. We had Washington Mm. struggling in the desert like we talked about. Mm. All things that we'll talk about on this episode, man. It was just another great Saturday of college football, the game that we love so much. As you can see, my jersey's in the background. I'm in the spirit. It is the season. Uh, Can't wait to uh, talk some more ball, my friend. Let's start out with the AP poll reaction, Cody. The AP poll came out. Not much has changed, one through seven. Big adjustment I want to talk to you about. Eight, nine, Oregon, USC changing. I'm I'm a fan of this, what we saw in the second half of USC against Colorado. Oregon's been impressive. They didn't play well against Stanford early, but just your thoughts on Oregon moving up to eight and USC moving down to nine. Yeah, you know, I think they've been dominant. They've given up 12 points the last two weeks. I mean, albeit Colorado, as we've seen, their their O-line isn't very good, but that, that same Colorado team put up 41 against USC the very mm-hmm. next week. So I think it's a justified switch, and frankly, I think Oregon should probably be a little bit higher, and we'll probably talk about that here in a little bit. 100%. And let's get to 10 to 15. And uh, 10 to 15, there's a lot of teams that are very quiet in the top 15 that we're going to start to, hello, welcome to the program. We haven't heard anything about you this season. But Notre Dame at 10, I love it. Obviously a big win against Duke. Um, Alabama moves up one after Mississippi State. Oklahoma to 12, moving up two spots after beating Iowa State last week. We're going to talk about them a lot next week and probably moving forward. This is the type time of year where we start to get into these big battles. But Wazoo at 13, North Carolina, really quiet North Carolina, then Oregon State at 15. What stands out to you, 10 through 15? I'd say Notre Dame and Alabama, you guys are right where you guys want to be. You guys took an early season loss, a Mm. tough one, early, but you guys are right on the fringe of the top 10, if not in the top 10 in Notre Dame's case, and uh, you have everything to play for. you got a couple more ranked opportunities on the schedule, possible SEC championship if Alabama can run the table. Mm. Notre Dame, a couple ranked matchups just about every week in the ACC, it seems like, because the ACC has like eight undefeated teams in it still. Um, And frankly, right now, like Notre Dame, your only loss being to a top five Ohio State team, um, on the last play of the game is actually looking really, really good. So I think Notre Dame and Alabama, you guys are, like I said, right on that fringe of those teams that can make noise as the season goes along um, with only one loss. Yeah, and for Alabama right now, the SEC West is kind of all over the place right now. So if they can win the SEC West, you know, Georgia didn't look too great against Auburn. We'll get into that as well. Um, Alabama and Notre Dame, I still think they control their own destiny. I think Notre Dame wins out. I, again, we'll talk about it later in the episode, but just a little spoil there. Um, 16, 16 through 25, um, Ole Miss moves up four spots. Congrats, obviously, after a big win at home. Uh, then you got Miami, Utah falls down eight spots. Duke falls down two. Kentucky, welcome to the top 25. You are now up to 20. Missouri, a very quiet Missouri at 21. Tennessee at 22. LSU at 23. 24, Fresno State, 25, Louisville. Um, a bunch of SEC's teams there, Cody, from 16 
to 25. I'm counting five SEC teams there. What sticks out to you through 16 to 25? The one team that nobody wants to play right now is a basketball school, and that is Kentucky, the Kentucky Wildcats. Coach Mark Stoops has those boys playing inspired football on defense. You probably can't name somebody on their defense, but you damn sure better know the name Ray Davis. They're running back. 280 yards, three touchdowns against that Florida defense. Kentucky is for real. Georgia, you better watch out this next weekend. Kentucky is a real deal football team and is not playing any games. 100%. And then Louisville being at 25, that's obviously good for Notre Dame, another ranked team. They're undefeated. They look good. New coach, Jeff Brom, coming in. Uh, a couple, you know, Jack Plummer, uh, tr- the transfer. I believe he was at Cal first, and then he was at Purdue. Mm-hmm. And then he went to Louisville. He's at Purdue and Cal, vice versa. But um, definitely a team to look out for. We're excited to talk about that next week. But let's get into week five reactions. we got to start off with probably arguably the best game of the weekend. Uh, Notre Dame, Duke, college game day was there. 11 Notre Dame beat 17 Duke, 21 to 14. And, man, this was a doozy came down on the wire. You want to talk about gritty games like it was for Notre Dame versus Ohio State. This was the same exact way for here, Cody. But um, what stood out to you? What was the biggest thing takeaway you take from this game? 11 Notre Dame at 17 Duke. I think uh, two things stood out to me. Sam Hartman's the real deal. Mm. Unflappable. Senior leadership. Mm. We talked about it in the preview episode way back in August. But also, this Duke football team is really, really good. And if Riley Leonard can get healthy, shout out to him. Hopefully, quick recovery. Had a pretty nasty ankle injury towards the on the last play of the game for Duke. Prayers out, Riley. Hopefully, you can uh, recover pretty quickly because your team could use you um, coming up in a pretty tough ACC. But Duke plays good enough defense that even if he does have to miss a couple games, they'll be in those games because of that defense and that running game. So. Don't be surprised if Duke surprises a couple more people going along the way. Also, Notre Dame, where the, like wait for those freshmen to step up in the tight end. The freshman receiver, names escaping me at the moment. Chris Tyree, Rico Flores. Boom, both of them showed up, up big, especially on that last drive. I was actually a little disappointed in Tobias Merriweather. No shot to anybody, but I was a little disappointed in him, a little push off. Not only did he push off on that play, but he also dropped the ball on a good Mm. throw by Sam Hartman. Um, So ultimately, uh, it was good to see the freshman step up. Tight end stepped up big, not only on that last drive, but throughout the whole game. I think he ended up with close to like 140 yards receiving um, out of that Mm. tight end position. So Sam Hartman finding some new weapons, that's always going to help along with that run game with Estime. So um, Mm. Notre Dame, like like we said earlier, Notre Dame, you guys are going to be kind of in control of your own destiny moving forward. A lot of good ranked matchups along the way. You get at USC at home, which is which will be big. Um, if they're able to squeeze that one out against the Trojans, um, that means they're probably going into the end of the season, maybe 10 and one, 11 and one. So. Yeah. USC's got Arizona next week. You're kind of rooting for USC to continue to do well and be undefeated in that game. So it even looks better for you for Notre Dame. Uh, this Notre Dame is this Notre Dame win against Duke. I think is bigger than box scores. I mean, the whole week, you're talking about the Ohio State game, how there was only 10 players on the field. And they even showed, I told you, like they literally showed that play a bazillion times, either during the game, before the game, all 10 <laughs> players. How can Notre Dame recap? Like their coaching staff stinks, blah, blah, blah. Um, I love what their coaching staff did, Marcus Freeman. I think a very outlier. Um, obviously, the offense gets a lot of attention. Sam Hartman, their defense balled out. Absolutely. Being up 13-0, um, they were they were rattled. They're rattling uh, Duke early. Um, I mean, basically, 
what they were doing was they were stacking the box. Hey, try to run on us. But if not, we got our DBs on islands. Their DBs from last week, Notre Dame's DB core might be one of the best in the country. Played Absolutely. well against Marvin Harrison Jr. Played well against Emeka Buka and all those wide receivers. They did the same thing here. I mean, 134 yards passing against Duke versus Riley Leonard, who's a very smart quarterback. We saw him early. Um, is huge. I thought that was a big takeaway for me. And then another one, when their back was against the wall, I mean, it seemed like when Notre Dame was starting to get things rolling, penalties, 12 penalties for Notre Dame, back against the wall, can't get third downs. That first third down they got on that last drive was Sam Hartman. They missed 10 straight third downs. They were 10 straight for their third last downs. 10. That's for their last 10. I think overall they were like 2 of 15 or something like that. Wild. But for Sam Hartman to do that, especially in the back of the, back of the end zone, um, when the running game wasn't doing well either. So the running game is not doing well. You've got your two top receivers in Great House and Thomas out. There's a lot against backed against the wall. Um, you found Mitchell Evans. I thought that was something that stood out to me too. But again, this Duke team's for real. People out there, people that are saying, oh, like it's 17 Duke. Like that's not a, that's not a very good win. On the road, you had to face the adversity from last week. You're facing a, a smart quarterback, an aggressive defensive guy in Elko. Um, this team had two penalties. Two penalties did not make any mistakes. The the crowd was on their side. They came back there. But again, Cody, I'm gonna throw it back to you. I want to talk about that final drive with Sam Hartman. Um, Man, I, I think, mean, I think for me, that drive was one of those like we're just failing forward, failing forward, failing forward, and then when you had to have something, you lean on your senior quarterback and he gets the job done. That 16-yard scramble on 4th and 15 was unreal. Um, I kind of was, like, looking at the TV, like, like when he like he ran up to the line of scrimmage and kind of, like, hesitated for a second. I'm like, mm. boom, like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, and then, uh, luckily, he pulled the trigger and was able to get the job done, man. That mm. was fun to watch. And then I was actually shocked that they were able to do uh, – be they were actually able to get their whole – that like last 30 yards on one run. Like I thought they were going to kind of, I think they were trying to position themselves for a kick, which you said is kind of nerve wracking. Mm -hmm. Anytime it comes down to a kicker. Um, and then also the last thing I want to shout out, shout out to the Duke fans, a sellout college game day was there. Yeah. They, my sister was there. She said it was crazy. Absolutely lit. Yeah. Your sister, I'm sure your sister was there. I'm sure you could probably expand on that, but yeah, I, man, the Duke crowd was absolutely electric and it was fun to see. She went to games last year, and she said this was the first time she felt like it was like okay, like a football school. Everyone there, college game day it was a great atmosphere. It's kind of hard to tell too because the lighting was kind of dark, so you couldn't really see. And they were wearing dark blue, so it's kind of hard to see how many fans are there. If it was all white, like a whiteout or something, I think you'd be able to see, able to see the fans stick out there. But again, a great win here. What impressed me about that drive too is after Sam Hartman got that run, the spike right after. To get everyone lined up, say, hey, we're going to spike it. Marcus Freeman didn't call it, but just him being a guy that's been in the program, that's been around college football for six, seven years, to be able to do that, not not waste a timeout. I think they had one or one timeout left. And then again, mm -hmm. estimate to come on that run. I was still nervous. I don't want it. I don't want it to end on a you know a field goal. We saw what happened <laughs> to Clemson last week against Florida State. I didn't want that to happen for Notre Dame, but I mean, man, it just seemed like when everything was going wrong, it, it seemed like, you know, when you're watching the game too. When Duke was up 14-13, it was like the same with Ohio State. You're like, how is Notre Dame not winning right now? Like They dominated the game, but they're not winning. So, yeah, to, to, yeah, to see them win in that game um, speaks magnitude. And, you know, they've got obviously got Louisville next week, which is a ranked game. And then they've got USC. Um, you're kind of rooting for Clemson to hopefully get back in the rankings. That's another game they got in the season. But, um, dude, I mean, 
I, I could be biased. I could be a Notre Dame guy, but what I'm seeing right now, I don't think their season's done after a one, you know, last play of the game against Ohio State. I think they control their own destiny. They've got a lot of games to put on their resume. Uh, this team, this team balls. This team balls. Uh, they got they got two good running backs, Estimate and obviously Jeremiah Love. They've got some good re- receivers. They got some good DBs. Their front seven starting to step up. They had two sacks, a bunch of offsides penalties, which can get warned on there, but. Um, I think the sky's the limit for Notre Dame if they can just continue to win. But again, one more loss, you're you're basically out. So just yeah. keep winning, Notre Dame. And and you guys are the biggest Ohio State fans now. They got to keep winning to make sure that that strength of schedule stays high. A hundred percent, yeah. Especially with the game that early, you want that to um, be up there. Uh, yeah. So that is our breakdown there for Notre Dame and Duke. A lot of good stuff there from that game. That was a thriller. LSU. 13 LSU at 20 Ole Miss. Final score, 55 to 49. Ole Miss upsets LSU. I have so much. I have so many reactions. I don't know where to start, but I'm going to start out with you, Cody. Ole Miss, but more importantly, big win for Jackson Dart and Lane Kiffin. Man, you know, um, after last week, I thought that Ole Miss had kind of like led a big opportunity to catch Alabama sleeping last week, and they kind of let that opportunity slip. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't take advantage of Alabama being down after that loss to Texas, um, and then that kind of piss poor showing against USF. Um, but I think what a way to bounce back. I think Ole Miss again, another team. Now you guys are right where you want to be. You just now, now you guys have to be big LSU fans. Now you need LSU to go and beat Alabama for you. Um, and then maybe hope that Arkansas can trip up LSU to make sure that LSU doesn't have only one conference loss. Um, Cause we don't want it to be a tie between like Alabama, LSU and Ole Miss. So um, just a heads up, Jackson Dart is a baller. Like, and he showed up and showed out against a very, very talented LSU defense. Um, Jaden Daniels, you balled out like, Six total touchdowns, close to 600 yards of offense. Like, couldn't have done much more. So, um, man, what a game. I'll throw it to you, Jax. You can kind of expand on some of those as well. But, man, that was that that one, being able to recap that one and look at the highlights and watch the game back was, was an absolute blast. Yeah, and to have RG3 on the call, too, I thought RG3 did a great job breaking it down and stuff. And I kind of want to go to the end of the game because – this is part of the this part of the game I was shocked by. It kind of threw me off by and RG three and the the broadcaster beside him explained it. We're talking about it, but LSU's got the ball up too. Um there's about four minutes, four thirty minutes left, maybe five minutes. And instead of wasting clock, you know, drawing it down to about forty seconds and either running your play, whether it's a run or a pass, I believe all four of them, they have four or five, I think they have five plays. They would snap it with at least 27 seconds left. So you do the math there. I mean, 27 times four, that's probably like 90, 90-ish seconds, maybe 95. Well, that's not even including the amount of time the play is when they get tackled. Each play is normally around four to six seconds. Um, I was confused by that. RG3 talked about how, you know, it's kind of tough, I guess, for them for a fast-paced offense up two. He said that Brian Kelly wanted to go for the end zone, maybe get a score, maybe a field goal and get in field goal range to make it five points. For me, I think with what you saw, how your defense was playing all game, I think you just want to seal the game and get out of there. For I mean, real. Seal and get out of there. And, you know, they did what they could. I didn't like 
I didn't like the coaching aspect of that just because clock management. I think under five minutes, we know we've been around the game forever. That's when you got to waste as much clock or threaten Lane Kiffin to use his timeouts. But again, kudos to Jackson Dart. They ended up pinning him. I believe he was on the two yard line, one or two yard line. They go ninety eight yards and um and get the and get the game winning touchdown. Another thing I was shocked by LSU um very light on the box there. Very light in the box against Judkins, who had 180 yards. Okay, if you're going to be light in the box, we'll give you Judkins. He had two 20-yard runs, and then they hit, I forget, Jones or whoever the wide receiver on the outside was on that one-on-one. But super really questionable calls there, questionable coaching from LSU on defense, which I don't know if it was LSU's defense, the defensive coordinators, or if it was the, the players or a mix of both, but you've got Mason Smith and you've got Harold Perkins and you've got LSU's DBs who are known for some of the best DBs in the country. Super yes. shocking from LSU. Yeah. I can't remember the last time we saw LSU give up half a hundred, bro. But how like, does a, how does a fast paced offense like that can't adjust and be a slow paced offense and just do what they're doing, but just slow the pace down. I don't, I don't get that. I don't get it. Take it from an offensive guy. I'm a passing game coordinator for 18 to 22 year olds. We mm. don't know huddle. All I have to do to get the quarterback to slow down his role is literally just put my hand up like this because they're looking to the sideline. Hmm. Wait. Just yeah, wait. Called. Yeah, that's a good point. Just wait. Like, that's <laughs> all. You, if we know the play, here's the play. Here's the play. Here's the play. Wait. Or even call the play with like 15 seconds left. Say, hey, all right, wait, wait, wait. Let's call it now. That We used well, to do that in Montana too. Or something like, man, like snap the ball with under five seconds on the play clock. You're up. Mm. Play mm. like it. It's it's crazy because it, it, that leads me like, I mean, I know we're probably going to talk about Colorado USC later, but that's another opportunity. They're down for two touchdowns with six minutes to go and you don't score until there's a minute 30 because you're running the football. Like, what are we doing? Mm. Like, yeah, we can get into that later. But like, yeah, man, yeah, yeah. across college football, you're just seeing like some pretty interesting and if I'm being honest, poor clock management situations by seasoned coaches who have been there, done that, which like literally blew my mind. And with the new rule of first downs and stuff, if you get a first down, the clock still rolls. So you want to take advantage of that too. You know, like not, not going out of bounds, take advantage of the rule there until it gets under two minutes. And then that's when you get into the first downs situation. Yeah. Uh, not 99 yards. They went 88 yards, a minute 57, Ole Miss and Jackson Dart. And he bounced back too. Because the series before that, fourth and one, they go zero blitz, and you know Cody as as a guy who, who plays quarterback. Zero blitz, defenders in your face, running straight at you. Instead of taking a couple of steps back and throwing it easy, got got the wide receiver there open. Um, Jackson Dart kind of just turned and threw it, and it got batted down. So some minor mistakes there from Jackson Dart, but I truly think this is a game that he needed for his confidence because he kind of reminds me of the Quinn Ewers in effect, where Quinn Ewers every time he'd play those big opponents, he'd always fall short. That's kind of Jackson Dart's situation there, but. Again, now we've got a blunder in the SEC West. Now we're talking about who's going to win the SEC West there. And for Ole Miss, Ole Miss, it's looking good for you right now. Obviously, you got the advantage over LSU. You got to hope LSU beats Alabama, Cody. But um, we were talking about it before. Talk about, you know, what your thoughts are in the SEC West right now. And then what are the tiebreakers ensuing, too, when it comes to yeah, the SEC so, West? So, interesting enough. Right now, you know who's leading the SEC West? It looks like I'm, because you guys remember, uh, this is me eating crow. I said at the beginning of the year that if Texas A&M won more than three games, that I would personally write Brian Kelly or uh, Jimbo, Jimbo Fisher. Fisher. 
Well, it looks like I'm going to need to write him a letter. They're 2-0 and in the SEC. Mm. Hats off, Texas A&M. You are literally 2-0 and in the SEC West. You are leading the SEC West currently. Them and Alabama. Correct. Yeah, Alabama's 2-0 and in the SEC as well. Mm. So that means those two are on top. Ole Miss has one loss. I believe LSU, LSU has, has one, one loss. loss. Yep. So those four essentially are in like – it's between those four, I guess, to start with. And then as the season plays out, you'll be able to kind of see them kind of move up and down. If I believe if two teams end up with the same record, it goes to cross-divisional opponents and what their record is. Mm. At first, it starts, I think, with like opponents, and then it goes to what the overall divisional record is against the East. Um, so, yeah, like a bunch of different tiebreakers. Ultimately, I think it'll get decided on the field. But if it doesn't, um, yeah, there you go. <laughs> What's interesting to me that I don't know if I realize this or not, but I, I thought the the records for divisions, like I thought the division record m- meant more for the conferences, like for the West and the East. Um, it, it just means conference in general. So like LSU's, Literally. you know, LSU's conference win over Mississippi State. I mean, Mississippi State's in the same division, I guess. But uh, I just wonder because for Ole Miss right now, yes, they're they're riding high. Obviously, a big win there. But I'm looking at their schedule right now. November at Georgia. That's a tough game. They're going to have to win. If they lose that, I mean, they're out. So that's a game for them. I know Alabama's got LSU and Tennessee. I know LSU's still got Tennessee, and they got A&M, I believe. So, um, I mean, LSU, we'll see. I mean, two losses overall, they won't make the CFP, but LSU's going to have to beat Alabama, too, if they're going to want to go to the SEC championship. Yeah, I'm just happy because all this means to me is that these teams are going to beat each other up, and we're not going to see an SEC West team in the CFP. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Could we could we see like obviously we're always used to seeing two SEC teams every year or two Big Ten teams potentially you know like last year Michigan Ohio State what are the odds we see two Pac twelve teams that would have that's to be that's interesting it's just okay well, let's let's talk about it we're kind of off the cuff here who cares um, just because the only thing that sucks with the two Pac twelve teams there is Washington, Oregon play each other, and Washington also plays USC, and Oregon plays USC, and, like, you know what I mean? So all those teams do end up playing each other, but if somehow, some way, they could end up either undefeated, both undefeated, going into the sea of the, the championship, or or what? I don't, I don't know. I can't think of happen. any this is This, to me, is the perfect scenario. Washington is undefeated, ranked mm-hmm. probably one to three. Yeah. Oregon has one loss and it's a close loss to Washington. Mm. Like 31-28. Cuz it's in Seattle, right? So on the road, top 5 ranked opponent. By the way, that's coming up in 2 weeks. Your boy will be in the building. Let's go. Um so that means you'll have a 12 and 0 Washington, an 11 and 1 Oregon. Oregon then flips the script, beats Washington 45-42 in the Pac-12 championship. Hmm. Maybe the SEC West team that has maybe – maybe they have two losses at that point. They somehow spring a trap on Georgia in the SEC. In the Big Ten championship, hopefully Michigan or Ohio State is undefeated. I think that's the scenario where you can get two one-loss Pac-12 teams into the CFB. 
Yeah, and then another one to factor there would be the ACC. Someone takes down Florida State. That also applies to it, too. Florida um, State. Notre Dame would probably have to lose again. Notre Dame would have to lose one, too. The Big 12, Texas would have to be close. Um, yeah. Just because I, I, I just think the only thing that might not work out would be the Big 10, just because I think the Big 10, unless um, again, unless Ohio State loses to like a Wisconsin, which we talked about before, or Purdue or a Maryland, um, or even a Penn State fucks something up, or maybe they beat Michigan, Ohio State, but Dude, there's so much, so many scenarios. I I wouldn't mind seeing two Pac-12 teams in there. I know you and I would not mind that, especially in the last year. But I mean, they're looking all, like baby. they're looking like the best football teams right now too, which makes me excited for bowl games because that's when you can tell. Okay, who's the best conference when you've got Wazoo playing like Wazoo can play like a team like Duke or Wazoo mm. can play a team like like Penn State. Not uh, Penn State. Maybe maybe like an Oregon State plays Penn State or you know. Um, I don't know, just like certain different scenarios like that. It's going to be cool to see when that comes up. But that was a cool little discussion there. We'll see. Hey, I would love, I would love that. Anything for with anything without two SEC teams, I'm all in favor of. Even Absolutely. if it's even if it's two, um, you know, Big Ten teams, I'm in favor of that. We saw it last year turn out well, but yeah, it, ridiculous. Well, we're going to talk about the next game. There's so much to talk about. We are just getting started, <laughs> folks. USC Colorado. This was a game I thought was over in the first half. Absolutely. Shout out to Colorado with the resiliency there. But the final score, 48-41. to 41. A lot of high-scoring games this weekend. Led by Caleb Williams. Six touchdown passes, one interception with 403 yards passing. 48-41 to 41 there. Let's start out with the USC side of things first. What impressed you about this USC team? Again, coming out with a win here. But what impressed you about them? Man, I got to say it. Caleb Williams has, I, like, I know I say it every single week on this show, but me being a quarterback guy, to see a guy who won the Heisman Trophy mm. was, like, clearly the best player in the country last year. To come back with all the expectations, all the pomp and circumstance, all these other contenders that are more of the, like, trendy picks, and Caleb Williams is separating himself again as the best player in the country. A great opportunity to go head-to-head with Shador Sanders. And I saw a post, and I disagreed with it a little bit, but, like, there was a post at one point, a little hyperbolic because it was in the first half, but it said Caleb Williams is teaching Shador Sanders how big-time college footballs play. And I was just kind of like, dang, like, if you really start to look at it, this was a Heisman showdown, and Caleb Williams at that time was complete was running away with it. Like, the guy has elevated his game to something to a level that, like, I don't think we've seen, like, like, I mean, I can't think of any. Like, you think of, like, a Tebow. Tebow wasn't doing this. You think about, like, a um, like a Marcus Mariota. He wasn't doing this. You think about, like, um, Eve, I'll take it, Bryce Young. He wasn't doing this. Like, the guy is a generational talent, and he's playing at such a level that ultimately USC's defense who cares? Give up 40 because I'm going to put up 50 and we go yeah. win. That's yeah. literally what he's on right now. And it's crazy to see because if you think about it, knowing that you have to put up 50 points a game to win and knowing that if you score less than 50, you might lose, that's crazy to think about. Like normally coaches will say, if we score four touchdowns and we hold them to two, we should probably, like, you know, we should probably win the game. These guys are literally having to score 50 a game. And he's just 
going out there. Cool. Soup, soup, soup. Let's go do it. Yeah, and it's insane. Not only him, obviously, Caleb Williams dotting it, but the amount of weapons this team has is unreal. I mean, they, they've got – I'm counting one, two, three, four, five different guys with, with touchdowns against Colorado, including Brendan Rice with two. The amount of weapons he's got offensively. I think his running back is probably the best running back he's had. Marshawn Lloyd, that first touchdown he had, breaking tackles. Unreal. His vision is incredible, too. I think another area that doesn't get counted for is the offensive line. I thought yep. they looked really good for Caleb Williams. But, again, to your point, anytime you see Caleb Williams outside of the pocket looking downfield, you're like, uh-oh, highlight reel is about to happen. And that highlight, the reel he had that throw to Washington, I believe it was 80-something yards. I mean, great job for him for flipping his hips and getting there. But also I think what the wide receivers do well is folks out there that don't know, when scrambling happens, it's called hot, it's called hot spots, right? So if the quarterback's rolling on the left side, and you got, let's say, a post over top, a dig, and like a slant route on one side, right? The guy who's shallow is going to take five yards. The other guy is going to go to like the 10-yard line, 10-15. It's increments of like 10 yards and then 25-30, and then work with him from there. I thought he did a great job finding a hot spot, um, making sure it's kind of like, you know, in PE class and stuff when you're wide open and you don't want to, you know, you're open, but you can't say anything because you don't want the DB to find you. <laughs> I think that's what, Todd, <laughs> that's what Todd Washington did. Like, he was just like, hey, man, I'm open. I'm right here. But um, overall, I was impressed with them offensively, but again, defensively they tackled better. But their DBs were ass. Their covering, <laughs> their coverage wise was terrible. And I agree to your point, Cody. Who cares about the defense? Like you can score fifty points. However, what's going to happen when you look at those games when you know USC has the advantage, maybe up seven, they can't get any points. Momentum changes, the other team scores, or it's a tie ball game. They can't score offensively, and your defense has been struggling, and it kind of flips there. So now mm-hmm. you're instead of tied, or you're maybe up seven, it turns into being tied or down seven. That's mm-hmm. my only downfall with them. But man, dude, this USC defense is just—I mean, they looked good the week before, but this week it was just kind of like a wake-up call for them, I guess. Yeah, I think I think one of the things that people don't take into account. Don't forget, I've said this before: going to Colorado is a tough trip. That is an elevated city. Anytime you go, especially a team like USC, they're at sea level and they come up, they play a fast paced offense and then they're having to on defense, they're playing against a fast paced offense as well. They get up to that like 80, 90, 100 play mark. Now they're starting to suck wind a little bit. Uh, Their legs start to get a little bit jello-y, a little bit more when you're at that high elevation. So I think ultimately, like I think maybe that um, the elevation had USC feeling a different type of way in that second half. I think they started to run out of gas a little bit. Like I said, being a mile up in the air there in, in Colorado. That is true. That's a good point. And I, I think Colorado, too, we're starting to realize they've got weapons, man. They, they've got one of the best offenses. I kind of wish they were in the Big 12 just to see them in the Big 12. But, I mean, um, O'Marion o- o- Mar- o- Miller, freshman, 196 yards, seven catches, one touchdown. Hello. Jimmy Hart, um, Jr., a guy we've been talking about forever, two touchdowns. Hello. Sorry. Sorry. No, Amarion uh, Miller, by the way, guess how many snaps he had played before this game? 11. Oh, He had wow. played 11 snaps all season until this game, and he goes off for 196 receiving yards. Now, which this is sad to say, is this more of a hype train for him? Possibly. But also, USC's defense, guys, this is a true freshman who's played 11 snaps in college football. Mm. And he is torching you. What do you think the receivers from Washington and Oregon are about to do to you? 
<laughs> oh my goodness. Like this is Yeah. But again, when you got Mr. Man over here, Caleb Williams, and back there, it might not matter. That's why I love college football though. This is why we love it. This is why we love it, dude. And, 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 man, them offensively, too. We've been saying over and over again, Colorado needs to run the ball. Colorado needs to be able to run the ball. They're in the ball with Hankerson, 74 yards. But on top of that, Cody, I'll throw it back to you. Shador Sanders used his legs. Loved used it. his legs. He's a little threat guy. Used his legs. Opened up the field. Used his legs. What impressed you about Shador Sanders? Obviously, it's a loss for Colorado. I'm excited because I'm going to Colorado ASU this Saturday to be able to watch Shador Sanders and Deion Sanders and all those guys in person. I cannot wait. I actually ordered my Amazon shirt. Call me a bandwagon all you want. I'm repping Colorado. I don't care what people say. I love the – I know exactly. I, I, I love the – I just love what they're doing, man. I'm, I'm a fan of it, and I think that's what draws celebrities and people in. It's just like it, – it's he's changing college football, man. He's just changing it. He's, you can tell Deion's really passionate about the kids and stuff like that, and I really don't have any ties to ASU either. But the resiliency from Colorado here – what impressed you about Shador Sanders and then just about this Colorado game? Well, what does this game mean for, for the program in the future? I think it shows the level of belief and trust that those guys have in Dion. Most of the times when the score's 34 to 7, the game's over. Like you said earlier. Mm. 34 to 7, the game's over. Those guys kept fighting, kept chopping wood, kept believing. And if not for, like we were talking about earlier, Sean Lewis having a freaking brain fart and running the football and draining the play clock when you're down two scores under six minutes to go, I think Colorado, if they get the ball back, they go down and they score again. Because I think USC's defense was gassed. I think that their offensive line was gassed. I think US, because if USC would have had to actually run some plays instead of just taking a knee, I genuinely think that their team was gassed. So I think that ultimately Colorado shot themselves in the foot at the end of the game. Um, and I think that they should be able to ride that wave of momentum into this ASU game and on through the rest of the season. Um, Shador Sanders, I mean, we've talked about it on this show. The most clutch player in the fourth quarter, probably in the country, leads the country in completions, completion percentage, touchdowns, um, and passing yards in the fourth quarter out of, mm -hmm. in all of college football. And, folks, he's and if you think about it, Colorado's needed every single one. Three-point win against TCU. Five or seven-point win against Colorado. Colorado State, right? The man comes up clutch in big games. I don't think people realize how much it matters to have a trigger man back there that can really affect games positively in the fourth quarter and lead your team not only back, but also go shot for shot like they did in, against TCU and Colorado State. And then he sees windows where others don't see. That throw to oh, oh. I can't. I don't know why I can't say Omarion. his name. Omarion Miller. I mean, the skin of the teeth, the skin right on the guy's like fingertip, the DB's fingertip, and for him, for Miller to come out with that catch was very impressive. I'm I'm stoked to see where this recruiting comes next year for Man. Colorado. Their transfer portal because everyone's gonna want to go there with, especially with all the celebrities with all the cameras on, the social media followings, the NIL and stuff like that. I mean, Xavier Weaver and Jimmy Horner starting to get more attention in NIL, which they didn't before. But now since they're creating more buzz, they're starting to see more behind the scenes of them. I think more people are going to start going in there for NIL and recruiting, which is going to be phenomenal. Like Dion said, you better get him now. You better get that man now because those recruits are coming. I think they hosted the number one quarterback in the country this last weekend. I know mm. they hosted the number one lineman in the country this last weekend. Both yeah, five stars. Yeah. yeah. 
So and the linemen, you can just say, "Hey, we need you now. You could play here and start. You could play here and start." Rogers' line's awful. Yeah, <laughs> but I do think though, for for them at least, the transfer portal I think has got to be mostly offensive linemen because of you know obviously they've got a lot of experience, got a lot of snaps, and the more developed type thing. But I wouldn't mind them, you know, spreading around maybe a couple freshmen, give them more experience, lead you. Um, in a, in a better future for the offensive line standpoint. Then defensively, they're going to need some D back DBs as well. If they're able to get offensive linemen, offensive linemen, and defensive linemen in the portal, and they're worth anything, I'm telling you, Colorado is going to be a problem in the Big Twelve next year. I'm excited to see that. Uh, that's going to be something special. Um, let's get into some other takeaways here as we continue on to Week Five. Man, there's so much to talk about Week Five. Um. A game that you called, a, a team that you said earlier that was a team that's going to be people need to watch on, a quarterback that you're a fan of. We were shocked on why he chose his school, but it makes sense now. Devin Leary and Kentucky Wildcats upsetting the Florida Gators. I didn't see that coming. Um, I guess Florida's back to their own Billy Napier trash days here. We thought Billy <laughs> Napier was in a hot, was in a good spot. We thought he was in a good spot after that win against Tennessee. Nope, they lose 33-14. to 14. Big upset against 22 Florida on the at home for Kentucky, but it wasn't even a Devin Leary type of day. He didn't have to do much when you got a guy named Ray Davis in the backfield, Cody. Dude, Ray Davis was a man among boys. 26 carries, 280 yards, three touchdowns against a Florida defense that's known historically to be stingy against the run. Front seven. Hmm got absolutely dominated by Kentucky. By the way, first time Kentucky's beat Florida three times since 1951. Unreal. So, uh, shout out to Mark Stoops. Like we said earlier in the show, he has those boys playing great on defense. They're running the football. Devin Leary, under center. He actually missed a couple throws, or else this game could have been even worse. Like, Florida is actually lucky. Devin Leary did actually not play very well in this game, mm. and Ray Davis kind of saved his lunch a few times, or else this game could have been 50-13. to 13. Like, Kentucky <laughs> thoroughly whipped Florida. And if it's interesting to see Kentucky doing this in football and Florida's doing this in football, which is wild to see. So, um, shout-out to the Fighting Mike, Mark Stoops. You guys are balling. Kentucky, big one this week coming up against Georgia. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Good, good turnaround there, Georgia. You make there. I mean, Kentucky. You made the rankings for the first time this season there at twenty, and you got to go at Georgia for a night game. So that's gonna be tough on the road there. But again, Ray Davis. Um, he also had a receiving touchdown as well. Devin Leary again had fun handing off the ball there. Did not play well throwing wise, <laughs> but again, you don't even have to do much when the running game's there. It's like, hey, it is what it is. Um, their defense played well too. They made Graham Mertz look flustered. The running game wasn't going with ETN and Johnson there. I mean, what a turn of events here, though. I mean, Florida was on such a high. Again, I love college football because when you think a T's on a high, you think a team could switch around. They get slapped in the mouth. They get punched in the face by a team. Mark Stoops in Kentucky. Sit that ass down, Billy Napier. Ooh. <laughs> I like that disrespect. Hey. Billy Napier, hey. sit it down. Sit it down. We said he was in the hot seat, but now he's back in the hot seat. He was off it, but now he's back on the hot seat there. Um, another standoff for us, Oregon State over Utah. Kind of a, you know, we didn't know Cam Rising was going to play or not. A big bounce back game for 19 Oregon State over 10, Utah 21 to 7. And um, people are going to say, you know, Utah obviously being out. I don't see that happening. I, I, I saw a ton of people that are already counting out Utah. Cam Rising will be back. 
I'm sure of it in a couple weeks or so. Number 10, Utah. Um, they, I thought they played well defensively, but again, it's tough for that defense when they're on the field for 30, 35 minutes. When Nate Johnson can't throw the football, they can't get the running game going. I think they just got exhausted against DJU and Oregon State. But what stood out to you, Utah, Oregon State? What stood out to me was Oregon State's defensive line. I think they had nine sacks in that game, mm -hmm. which to me says that their defense is underrated and that ultimately their secondary is underrated as well. Because usually it's a mix between not being able to block them up front and also getting covered sacks. So shout out to Oregon State. Your defense showed up, you showed out. Although you were playing against a third string guy, it doesn't matter to me. Ultimately, the fact that Utah usually makes their bread and butter by running the football. You didn't hear from Jaquindon Jackson, the running back. You didn't hear much of Nate Johnson running the football because he was banged up because he was getting hit. So shout out to the Oregon State defense. You guys showed up when your offense was kind of sputtering most of the night against that vaunted Utah defense. Oregon State, you guys, again, right back to where you want to be. Your only loss is to an undefeated 13th-ranked Washington State team. You guys are now big Cougar fans. you got to make sure that Washington State keeps winning, um, and ho hopefully you guys can maybe sneak back into that Pac-12 championship picture. 100%. In their uniforms, the orange, all the orange uniforms, Ooh, looked so nice. It was good to see Corvallis finally. They're, they're, the Rizzer Stadium or the Riser Stadium finally built all around, too. Yes. That's something they've been trying to do for a while. When we visited there, it was only half built. So, yeah. Oregon State, back to contention in the Pac-12. They'll Obviously, they'll play Washington and they'll play Oregon. Um, I'm stoked to see how they play against those teams. Another takeaway here. One Georgia beating Auburn 27-20. to Kind of shocked the world there. They come out with the win after being down 10-0. They tied it up at halftime. Carson Beck, 313 yards passing, one touchdown. A fun little fact about Georgia that I Go. wonder if it's going to bite them in the butt later on. I saw this. I was so shocked. Their point differential in the first quarter is zero. That's that's insane. They're, they're, they love Slow being stars. down. Slow starting for Georgia. They continue to do that. And they also – Georgia hasn't given up 200-plus rushing yards in five years. That's the first time they've done that with Auburn and Peyton That's Thorne unreal. and the boys over there at Auburn. Um, my biggest takeaway, I'll start out with it, Brock Bowers is the best player in college football right now. Brock Bowers is the best player in college football right now. What he does in the fourth quarter, ladies and gentlemen, it, it's unbelievable. 180 yards. 100, 100, sorry, he had, he had 157 overall. He had 148 yards in the second half, seven catches, one touchdown. And even the last week's game against South Carolina, he went off in the second half. He had two one-handers in a row. One didn't even count because of a false start or offsides penalty or something like that. But my golly. They, I don't know, Cody, when I've seen a tight end, a playmaker like this, that's no, like a good route runner in space can make some moves and then just break tackles. Also, he can block the hell out of people in the running game too, but he takes over football games. I don't know who can stop Brock Bowers. We all know where the ball's going and it keeps continuing over and over again, going to Brock Bowers. Brock Bowers is the best player in college football. He deserves a Heisman finalist. At least he deserves an invite to New York. At least that's all I'm saying without Brock Bowers. I think Georgia loses his game. I think they lose this game without Brock Bowers. Um, another takeaway for me, sorry, Cody, but we go to you real quick. Auburn, 
could not – they ran the ball the entire game super well. But when their back was against the wall, they couldn't throw the football, which really bought them in the ass, especially when they're down seven with a minute 30 left. You got to throw the football. They could not do that with Peyton Thorne. But I was impressed with Hugh Freeze, was impressed with Auburn's crowd and stuff. And the last remark I'll say, Cody, Kirby Smart actually was congratulating Auburn's fan base for being there. Great atmosphere. He said anywhere you play on the road in the SEC is a great win. I agree with him too. Auburn against the wall. Backs against the wall. We always say all the time, a team with nothing to lose um, is a scary team to play. I think it's a good win for Georgia, and especially being Carson Beck's first road game for the SEC. But, man, what stood out to you? Do reactions to what I said, whatever you want, Cody, <laughs> whatever you want. Georgia, you better stop playing with your food because it is a balanced lunch coming next week. Mm. It is like you thought Auburn can run the football. Hey, if hey, if you guys play defense in that front seven the way you guys did this last week, Kentucky's mm-hmm. about to roll you. No disrespect. You're the two-time defending champs. This is what you're supposed to do. You're going to get everyone's best shot. But Kentucky's best shot will beat you if you play like this. And to double down on what you said, Brock Bowers is him. Mm-hmm. Like, Name a receiver on Georgia's team. Well, Lad McConkey. Lad McConkey um, got to play. I know, I know, I know. Your yeah, favorite. he got to play. But other than that, not a whole lot. And they were struggling. I wouldn't say struggling. That's my only worry about Georgia is the wide receivers that they don't have. If Brock Bowers does get double teamed. But again, yeah. I don't Bro, know. It's hard to say. I don't know. McConkey's been injured. A.D. Mitchell transferred to Texas. It's been Brock Bowers and Brock Bowers and Brock Bowers. And teams still can't stop it. Like, that guy, it, like, I know I keep saying this. It's hyperbolic. It's like he is what Caleb Williams is to the quarterback position. Brock Bowers is to like everyone else. (laughs) Mm. Like it's like Caleb Williams, Brock Bowers are literally like on a collision course. Like, Hey, look at me, bro. I'm going to do this this week. Oh yeah. Watch me in the fourth quarter against Auburn. Boom. Oh yeah. Watch me put six touchdowns in the first half against Colorado. Boom. Like, these two dudes, I mean, and I know we're talking about Brock Bowers, but man, like from a tight end position, I don't think we've seen anybody this dynamic since maybe Kellen Winslow at Miami. But even that, like, I don't think he was doing what Brock Bowers does, not only blocking, but also in the run game. They hand him the football too. Yeah. So, man, like Brock Bowers, you are him. If I think Travis gotta, Hunter's out, you're yeah. him. And even if Travis Hunter's in, you still might be him. I think credit's got to come to Carson Beck, too. Obviously, you know, looking off defenders and getting him open with his eyes, I thought was big. Long third down passes to find Brock Bowers was there. I think Lag McConkie will start to pick things up, start to pick up production there. But that's my only worry about them is their wide receivers. But on the other side of it, Dr. DB's played well down the stretch, man. I mean, when they needed him most, when Auburn was forced to throw the football, Auburn's got some good receivers. But they outperformed, outperformed there. Um when they were forced to pass in the two-minute drill for, for Georgia. But, again, close close call there. We'll see what happens next week against Kentucky. Probably their best game, but luckily at home, like you mentioned. Yep. 100%. Uh, next one, as we conclude our other takeaways here, there's two schools in the top four that dominated this weekend, Texas and Michigan. Michigan winning 45-7 over Nebraska. Say what you want about Nebraska. At Nebraska, tough Black shirts, I think, is their nickname for their defense. Um, 45-7. I thought McCarthy is starting to look better and better and better every week, not only with the weapons he has, but 
their offensive line, a lot of time for them to, for a lot of time for him to throw the football, but his decision making I thought has been has been incredible so far. You're seeing a more mature version of JJ McCarthy so far this season. Yeah, you know, I think ultimately at the end of the day, I think that Nebraska's defense is vastly underrated. We saw what they did against Colorado. I know people are gonna say, Oh, well, it was Colorado's second game and blah blah blah. They were sputtering. No, mm. folks. Nebraska's defense is legit, and Michigan made them look like a JV team. 45 points in Lincoln, blew them out by 38 points. That's a big-time win. We were saying it, that Georgia and Michigan kind of looked like they were sleepwalking through their schedule, kind of getting a little complacent, Mm. um, getting a little bored with success and getting bored with being elite. Well, Michigan kind of answered the bell. 45-7 at Nebraska, that doesn't happen really ever. So um, shout-out to the Wolverines, J.J. McCarthy. uh, Roman Wilson, I think, is the mm. receiver who made that yeah, ridiculous catch in the back of the end zone. Head top. Like, they're loaded with talent. Michigan, you guys finally kind of flexed your muscles the way we expected you to do uh, earlier in the season. So, um, shout out to Michigan. You guys are kind of rounding into form just in time um, for a couple big matchups coming up against Ohio State and also Penn State. Yeah, and I'm excited to see you know, them – Teams like them, Georgia, we're starting to talk about more. Oklahoma, these are some teams that are undefeated but very poor competition. I'm excited to start talking about Michigan and J.J. McCarthy. And maybe he's another guy that starts to get in the Heisman candidate conversation when he starts playing these bigger matchups. You got at Minnesota, Indiana, Michigan State. They, they're November's when you start to get into good football for Michigan. You got home against Purdue at Penn State, at Maryland, and then home against Ohio State. I think that November month, Cody, is going to be fun to watch for Michigan. I'm so excited to see it. And then the other team, again, you're an Oklahoma fan. We'll talk about that game in our next episode. But I think Texas is starting to look better and better every single week. Their biggest question mark when we talked about the Big 12 champion, Big Twelve preview about Texas was who's going to rep- replace B. John Robinson. And that man, sir, is Jonathan Brooks, 218 yards, two touchdowns running. Quinn Ewers also had two touchdowns on the running as well, 40 yards. But, again, decision-making starting to get better. He did have the interception, which kind of blew there. But this team starting to build up some momentum. They're starting to look for real there. Their defense looked good. A.D. Mitchell started. You know, he had 140 yards receiving. My only worry with them right now, they're tight end. Big against Bama. He rolled his ankle against Kansas. Mm. Can he come back in time for this Oklahoma game? Can they be able to replace him? If Oklahoma's DBs, which Oklahoma's defense has been looking good, we'll talk about that in our next episode. Can they figure it out at the tight end position? But, again, another win for Texas. They're starting to look better and better every week. What stood out to you about Texas's win? Over Kansas, was, which I was bummed that Jalen Daniels didn't play. Yeah, like, really, like, if I'm being honest, like, this week didn't really show me much for Texas. I mean, I think now I will say this Quinn Ewers being able to throw against that Kansas secondary, which is extremely underrated. Kobe Bryant Mm. is an absolute stud at corner Mm. and their other corner, I think is also going to be projected as an NFL draft pick as well. I can't, his name slipped in my mind, but Kansas's secondary is legit. So Quinn Ewers being able to affect effectively distribute the ball to his playmakers against that secondary is going to bode well for Texas, Mm. not only against Oklahoma, but also, ultimately down the road against any other Big 12 teams. Um, Kansas State, mainly to me, is another team that usually has big physical DBs that play man-to-man coverage in the secondary. So um, shout-out to Quinn Ewers in Texas. I hate to say it. I'm an Oklahoma guy. Uh, You guys look (laughs) scary. Um, Now, I will say, like you said, a little disappointed that Jalen Daniels wasn't able to play. That was kind of part of our preview that we were saying that Jalen Daniels at quarterback was going to effectively – 
boost Kansas in that game. Um, I think that that directly, that negatively affected Kansas. Um, and they found out, I want to say they said four minutes before kickoff is when the team was like told that Jalen was going to play. Back tightness. Back tightness was the injury report there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. It sucks. Biggest game of the year for Kansas undefeated, undefeated. No more Texas big win at home. Um, great job avoiding the look ahead ahead of Red River. And then real quickly, some other ones as we wrap up week five, we'll get into Cody's top five quarterbacks in about 30 seconds. Alabama, big win on the road against Mississippi State. Tennessee bounces back uh, home against South Carolina. Good South Carolina team there. They're starting to look better. Missouri's still undefeated in the SEC. Those are three SEC games. Oregon, after having six yards in the first quarter, Bounces back, beats Stanford by by a lot, 42-6. to six. And then this last one, which I'm going to give you the throne here, Cody, because we talked about this before. Washington 7, Washington beating Arizona 31-24. to 24. Should people panic and turn off of Washington? No. Anytime. Michael Penix threw for zero touchdowns. Zero touchdowns, and Washington still won. And really, like, the score doesn't show how what the game really was. Like, Washington was up, I want to say, like, 31-14 to 14 or something like that. And then Arizona scored 10 points late in that game. So, mm. um, to me, like, Washington's fine. I said it, that they struggle in the desert. It's just Washington struggles in the desert. And the year that they won in the desert with Jake Browning and all those receivers, John Ross, um, uh, Dante Pettis. Yep. Um that was when they were like that was when they went to the CFP. And so the fact that they went into Tucson, got the win, bodes well, I think, because like I said, for some reason UW does not play well in the desert. So them getting that win um is probably a big confidence boost, big ego boost. Um ahead and I think they have a bye this week before they play Oregon. So um so huge, huge again, avoided the look ahead going into that Oregon game. Both Oregon and Washington have buys. How sick is that? How oh. sick is that? Oh, boy. And Cody will be representing the program, being there for that game. So stoked to see that one. But without further ado, let's get into your top five quarterbacks for week five. A lot of great performances in college football in week five. But who will be at the top of the list? We're about to find out. we got to start out with honorable mention. So, folks, do your research. We always say we do our research here. We don't <laughs> just look at the power five. So, honorable mention. Jalen Rayner, Arkansas State. Mm-hmm. Big win, 52 to 28 over UMass. I know you're talking about, oh, Massachusetts sucks. They regularly in the bottom 10 on if you ever look at like CBS's rankings of like the worst teams in college football, UMass is regularly in there. Mm-hmm. But Jalen Rayner, 20 of 25, 383 yards, six touchdowns, zero turnovers. Anytime you have six touchdowns, zero turnovers from the quarterback position, you're probably going to make our rankings regardless of opponent. So shout out to you, Jalen Rayner. You are our honorable mention for week five. Number five. Number five. Now, everyone's used to his older brother putting up 70 points in the league for Miami, but Talia Tagovailoa is actually at Maryland. He's a senior quarterback at Maryland. Mm. 44-17, big win over Indiana. Leah. Tagovailoa went 24 34, 352 yards, five touchdowns, zero turnovers, and Maryland's big win, like I said, 44 17 over Indiana. Leah Tagovailoa, you are a number five quarterback for week five. Number four. At number four, 
I said it. He's elevated his game over a Heisman season where he was far and away the best player in the country. Caleb Williams from USC, 30 of 40, 75% completion percentage, 403 yards, six touchdowns. He did throw a pick that kind of started to kind of spin the wheels a little bit for USC, but ultimately he got the win. He's up to now 21 touchdown passes with one interception. Caleb Williams, you're a number four quarterback for week five. Number three. At number three. Jackson Dart from Ole Miss, 55-49, big win at home over LSU after struggling in that second half against Alabama, 26-39, 389 yards, four touchdowns, zero interceptions. He also ran the ball effectively. Jackson Dart, you are our number three quarterback for week five. Number two. At number two. You actually talked about his team briefly, saying that they're still undefeated in the SEC. They already have a win over Kansas State. Brady Cook, their quarterback, is a big reason why. 38-21 win over Vanderbilt. 33-41, of 41, 395 yards, four touchdowns, zero turnovers. Brady Cook having a really, really good year for the Tigers. Um, also, real quick shout-out to his backup, Jabari Johnson, Pacific Northwest kid from FSP. Shout-outs to you, young fella. Um, but, yeah, Brady Cook, you are our number two quarterback for week five. I saw something where he's had 385 straight passes without a pick, too. So, very smart with the football, Brady Cook, there. At number one, Sir Cody. I said it in our preview episode that this guy was going to flirt with 300-100 a few times this year, and that was going to kind of boost him towards a possible Heisman Trophy ceremony invitation. Mm. Jaden Daniels from LSU. Although they did lose the game, 55-49, to Jaden Daniels went 27-36. to for 414 yards, four touchdowns, he added 99 yards rushing and two more touchdowns. To me, anytime you can directly affect the score where you're putting up 42 points individually, that to me shouts you're the number one guy. So Jaden Daniels from LSU, you are our number one guy for week five. That's got to be a first. Loses the game, but on top one of Cody's top five list for week five there. And like, and number three was the quarterback who beat him. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Hey, hey, that, that's that's amazing. There, great list as always, Cody. Love the breakdown. Shout out to Arkansas, Arkansas State making the list as well. Yes, sir. We the love fun to see belt, it. Maybe the fun belt. Do your research. That's the slogan of the point after. Just do your research, people. Let's get a buy or sell. Buy or sell. What we liked from this weekend. What we didn't like. Maybe something that we know we were 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 high on. Something that we're low on. <clears throat> Um, my buy, my first buy, only buy. I am buying the SEC being wide-ass open right now. I think UGA, Georgia, is beatable. They've got to start or they got to start fast early. I mean, if you're going to be down 17 points, down 10 points against teams like, you know, well-coached like Alabama or even Tennessee at Tennessee, like those are hostile environments, better quarterbacks, better weapons than Auburn and South Carolina. Um, I understand it's only September. We're getting into October. This is where kind of teams transition into not making as many mistakes and you know players start to develop. It's not October, then the games are remember in December. But for me, I'm buying that the SEC is wide open. And I don't think just like college football right now, I don't think Georgia's the elite team right now. I think we got a lot of really good, solid teams there in the SEC. Your buy. My buy. Like this is gonna seem like a homer call. But I'm buying Oklahoma's offensive explosion this year and their defensive improvement. Anytime you play Iowa State, 
Iowa State has regularly either beaten or frustrated Oklahoma over the past five to six years under Matt Campbell. Mm. And what Oklahoma did in three quarters against a Matt Campbell defense, put up 50 points, that was very, very impressive. I'm buying Oklahoma as a, as a viable Big 12 contender and a possible college football playoff contender. Now, could that go up in flames this week against in Red River? Absolutely. Do I think it will? You're going to have to stay tuned and check our preview episode for, for week six. <laughs> a little teaser there. A little teaser. I'm excited to see Cody's keys to victory. He's going to break down Oklahoma. Uh, I'm so excited to watch that. Uh, sell time. I'm selling the hell out of Big Noon Kickoff. That show sucks. Anyone that says that show is good, you're lying. Anyone says that they're better than College Game Day, you're lying. I literally – so I was on Twitter – and people were kind of bitching at what Pat McAfee said in shots to Ryan Leaf. Ryan Leaf saying how, you know, he he made he he went at Lee Corso for for God's sake. Lee Corso was like 89 years old. Like, yeah, yeah. The wow. GOAT? The yeah, GOAT? Went, yeah, exactly. And he might have, you know, stuttered or maybe said something that he didn't mean or he meant another meaning, but to go at him about Wazoo, about he said something about Washington State. Washington State has been relevant forever, and this year they're finally relevant. And this, in every single you know college game day, they've got their flag there. That's a tradition there. But to bash college game day was, I don't know, it was awful, right? So I'm I'm seeing that. I'm saying, you know what? Let me give it a try. Let me try Big Noon Kickoff. I I flipped the channel to Big Noon Kickoff. Who's at Boulder for like the fiftieth time in a row? Spread it out. Don't go to the same place three times and broadcast like they did last year. Went to Michigan a bunch of times. This year it's Colorado. Dude, expand. Who cares if it's not – who cares? Okay, could you imagine if college game day started out going to Ohio State every single week? They wouldn't grow their show. They would go everywhere. That's how they grow their show. They grow their fandom is going different places. Big New Kickoff's at the same place all the time. Anyways, I go over to Big New Kickoff with Mark Ingram, Mark Ingram, Brady Quinn, Matt Leinart, and I believe Urban Meyer, which Urban Meyer, Quinn, and Matt Liner all are just I, – I can't stand. But anyways, Mark Ingram was talking. He had a sentence, which I understand on TV. Him being new to TV, it's tough to be on TV. However, he probably stuttered within a minute, I would say probably about eight times. And what he said didn't make sense. And I said, okay, I'm going back to college game day. I just – I don't like it, man. I think they're gel – I think they gel better there. I think Pat McAfee's doing better with college game day. But I'm selling the hell out of big noon kickoff. Um, your thoughts, what are your thoughts about big doing kickoff and then yourself? Well, we talked about it. I don't like Brady Quinn. No, I could do without Matt liner. Don't really care. Mark Ingram. I feel like I could take your job. No disrespect. Mm-hmm. You've played in the NFL. You're great at what you do. Like you were great on the field, my friend, but let us break down college football. I'll take a quarter of the pay. It's such a bummer too that Joel Klatt's not on that show too. Like Kirk Herbstreit is the guy that calls the, the the games and stuff. Which some of it it sucks because the games that they call are immediately right after Big Noon kickoff. But at least for an hour, first two hours, we need some Joel yeah. Klatt in there. Well, I think part of it is that Fox doesn't have the primetime slot. That's ESPN's, so they have mm-hmm. to kind of do like Big Noon kickoff right into a game. So that's probably why Joel Klatt isn't able to uh, do. The show, but also if you think about it, Joel Klatt's show is bigger than Big Noon Kickoff right now. Like, mm-hmm. let's be honest, his YouTube viewership, his clips, and the things that he's able to put out, um, podcast wise and visually, like, and his spots with Colin Coward are probably bigger than Big Noon Kickoff on their own. So that's a good point. Ultimately, there's no point in Joel Klatt taking a step <laughs> back and down 
to go on Big Noon Kickoff. He'd probably get so annoyed, too, because on Big Noon Kickoff, like, what I like my college game day, whoever's got a point, they'll say it. They have to go through, like, in order. Like, Mark Ingram talks, then Matt Liner, then Brady Quinn, and then Urban Meyer, you know? Right. So, Joe Clout would be like, bro, like, I got to wait. Like, I got right. something to say. Like, so him being by himself definitely is the move there. Hey, so Yourself. ESPN, <clears throat> go get him. Yeah. Go get him. Pay him and Gus Johnson. Go yes. get him. Yes. Please. Signed management. <laughs> Your cell, sir. <laughs> My cell. I'm selling Duke as an ACC title contender. I think mm. Riley Leonard is going to be out longer than we think. You and I both watched the injury. Dude, like, ankles are just not things that quickly heal, especially when you get rolled up that violently. Like, mm. at the end of the day, I hope him the best. I truly hope I'm wrong. I genuinely am saying this from the bottom of my heart. As a quarterback guy, I hope you are okay, Riley. I hope you're able to bounce back. I just don't believe you're going to be able to in the manner that you would need in order to contend for an ACC championship. There's too many good teams in the ACC, and I think Duke is going to end up dropping one or two of those games and ultimately be out of the race by the beginning of November. But Riley Leonard, shouts out to you. Prayers to you, my boy. Hopefully you're able to recover quickly. Great guy, and they did a piece about on him, on his mom on college game day, on how Riley Leonard's gotten all this praise and stuff, but he wants someone to kind of give him even-headed, level-headed or whatever. So his mom would send him texts like, you suck, but I love you type thing, which is super <laughs> funny. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's the worst way for Duke to lose that, not only lose it, but then their quarterback to be off for a couple of months. Like, that was just the worst way to end it. I didn't want to see it like that, especially with two quarterbacks like Riley Leonard and Sam Hartman, both Grady. It was cool to see Sam Hartman wait for him outside the medical tent. I thought that was awesome, too, but – Man, I still think Duke can do it. I, I think they do. But, again, Florida State in two weeks. I don't know if he's going to be back in time. But I think one loss, they'll be fine for the ACC. But I respect your sell there, sir. I respect it. Moving on to game balls. We'll do some game balls. Put a bow on week five. My one game ball. I'm going Jackson Dart, man. I really love what I saw out of him against LSU, a tough LSU team. When LSU would score – they had to come back. I mean, it was 21 points. They were up 14, and then they were down, and they were down, and they were down. In fourth quarter, he shined, didn't play well um, on the series beforehand, made a mistake, but bounced back. I think younger Jackson Dart, you would see him fold, but he's starting to uphill and starting to prevail uh, the doubters and the adversity. I mean, four touchdowns you mentioned, one on the ground. My game ball goes to Jackson Dart. Absolutely. Great choice. I'm going to give, I have two game balls. I have one Ray Davis, Kentucky running back. We said it earlier, 26 carries, 280 yards, three touchdowns. Also had a receiving touchdown. Um, you almost single-handedly beat the Florida Gators. And like we said, uh, Kentucky has now beaten Florida three times in a row for the first time since 1951. Um, shout out to the Wildcats there. They're not just a basketball school folks. Um, and my second game ball, Tor Tony Horton from Colorado state wide receiver. 10 catches, 227 yards, three touchdowns, big win over Utah Tech. Uh, real quick shout-out, John Hughes, college teammate. He's the offensive line coach at Utah Tech. Shout-out to those guys over there, formerly called Dixie State, now Utah Tech, uh, bringing back, hopefully bringing back a, a new conference out, out west called the WAC. Uh, mm. For those of you real college football savants, remember the WAC, back when Hawaii was in there slinging it with Colt Brennan in there. 
that's a, that's a conference that I'm actually really intrigued to see who wins it. It's the Mountain West because we've seen yeah. like you know Wyoming obviously beating Texas Tech and they were close against Texas. We saw what Colorado State could do. Boise State tough loss against Memphis, but like they've got some good teams over there in the Mountain West, which I'm excited to see who comes out on top. Yeah, you know, I think uh, ultimately, I think it's Fresno State and everybody else in that conference. That is true. I forgot they never, were in that. Yeah, you, you never know though. It's one of those things where like going to Boise is tough. Going to Colorado State is tough. Uh, obviously, going to Wyoming is tough. Just ask Texas Tech. Um, so. You know, you never know who might come out of there. Like we said, though, like Fresno State, you're undefeated. You're ranked in the top 25. Um, maybe you're the group of five representative this year. We don't know. But you're in the Mountain West as well. So um, mm -hmm. possible conference for Wazoo and Oregon State to go to. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, they could dominate that and just make the group of five and kind of sell the, the recruits. Hey, we'll make the CFP every year in the group of five. Come over here against weaker competition. But, again, you'll you'll get to where you want to go at the end of the day. Um, and with that, we put a bow on week five. Our week five preview reactions comes to a close. Appreciate all those who watched our week five reactions and a little bonus exclusive content there at the end as we talked about September going to October as well. But Cody, week five is concluded. Week six, our week six preview episode will be coming out this week. As always, Jackson Groff, Cody Oaks, episode 14's in the books. Be sure to like, comment, subscribe. Follow us on Instagram individually. Follow us on Instagram at the point after underscore. More content coming soon. We're just getting started. Week five is concluded. We've got a lot more to talk about. And we are here at the point after your new favorite college football podcast. For Cody Oaks, I'm Jackson Groff. We'll see you next time. Peace.